You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Welcome to Big Noon Sports, featuring Lars Anderson, New York Times bestselling author of 12 books and a 20-year veteran of Sports Illustrated, and Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality. Here's Lars and Matt. The most important thing is probably relationships. Uh, I think all. So to have good relationships in terms of how you present, how you motivate, uh, and the players trusting and respecting the things that uh, you're trying to implement, the things that we do, uh, that they trust and believe that that's going to help them be successful. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, uh, we tried to uh, mitigate the changes that a new coordinator would create for players by trying to keep the same system. Uh, and that's a little challenging sometimes when you have new coaches because they have to learn a certain amount to be able to implement the system so it doesn't change completely for the players. Um, but I'm really pleased with the two new coordinators that we have. Kevin Steele obviously has been with us before, so he kind of understands the program and the expectation. and. You know, Tommy Reese is one of the brightest young guys I've seen for a long time in this business. So uh, he's been a great addition and, a lot, and brought a lot of positives to the offensive side of the ball uh, in terms of his ideas uh, and how he relates to players, uh, how he presents to players. Uh, his energy and enthusiasm on the field has been contagious. Uh, and I think I see a great trust uh, in our players with Tommy and what he tries to do from a leadership standpoint on offense. Nick Saban, he took the podium in Nashville at SEC Media Days. And of course, one of the first questions he was asked was about the quarterbacks. And pretty much said, no separation, no rush. And he compared it, Lars, to baking a cake and standing by the oven in his grandma's kitchen. And then saying, when's it going to be ready? When's it going to be ready? And his grandmother would say, don't rush it. Don't rush it. That later is uh, <laughs> the reason why I remember the media asking what his favorite kind of cake was. And Saban complied by saying carrot. But anyway, the Alabama regime is in Nashville. Nick Saban has addressed the main body of the media. And it is on. And, of course, yesterday Auburn was at the podium. We will go to uh, live to Nashville here in just a few minutes with ABC 3340's Johnny Congdon. But first, just uh, good afternoon. It's another steamy one um, to the danger point here in Alabama. Lars, what's up? Hey, Matt. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, glad you're joining us today. Big day with Alabama taking uh, stage in Nashville uh, for Nick Saban's 16th SEC Media Days. And big picture look at uh, at what Coach Saban's uh, remarks were all about for me. And, and, and this is the first time in all 16 media days when Nick Saban has delivered his opening address and done the opening Q&A with the assembled, you know, 1,200 media members 
that he didn't get up on the soapbox and have any take any particular stance on anything. He didn't have a message that he was trying to deliver to, you know, different commissioners, uh, deliver up to Washington. Uh, he didn't do any of that. And I did kind of expect it. Um, and he also didn't deliver any overarching message to his team. Everything was just very straight down the middle, uh, vanilla. And, uh, you know, I, I love the, the anecdote about his, his grandmother. And I do believe whenever he talks about, I've said this many times, whenever he talks about his dad, you need to pay particular attention. But I think even when he talks about his grandmother, he's it's really, he's t- <laughs> he telling, he telling you the, the hand on Bible truth that uh, it just has to play itself out, the quarterback competition. So what, all, what does this mean? Like what, what can we divine from the fact that Nick Saban really didn't say much of anything up on stage? To me, I think it underscores the fact that he really likes this team. He really likes this team, and it's almost like he doesn't want anybody to know it. And also, he loves the fact that he, that his players are absolutely feasting, feasting on the fact that they are being seen as sort of second rate, as you know, a step behind Georgia. Uh, is the dynasty over? I mean, Saban loves all of this. He loves it because he sees through uh, the effort level uh, in off-season conditioning. And, you know, he gets reports back. Even if he's not necessarily with the players, he's getting reports every day on on what's going on. And so I, I think he likes the mindset of this underdog, this underdog mindset that, Alabama hasn't necessarily had in a very long time. And also it's partially just based in the reality that Georgia has won the last two national championships. There's no denying that. There's no denying that the Alabama program has fallen behind Georgia. And it's it's not much, it's infinitesimal, right? I, I really believe that. It's, it's just a few plays here or there. And, uh, but those plays weren't made by Alabama. And, uh, and, and so to me, Matt, again, the, the, the meaning I got from the lack of substance in Nick Saban's address is that he loves his team, he loves where they are right now, and he loves the effort level uh, that the players are putting out in sub- summer conditioning. What, what was your big picture takeaway? Well, my first big picture was exactly yours, and I talked about it on Gary Harris's show just a couple of hours ago, that uh, he didn't seem to have, other than just talking about football and Italy and uh, you know, video reality game, he really didn't seem to have an agenda. He didn't take the opportunity to pound home any points on NIL or, or, uh, or transfer portal or college football playoff. Uh, so, uh, and I think that, uh, I think, uh, J.C. Latham said something in his one-on-one interview on SEC Network just a little while ago uh, that I, I think we can read a lot into. And he was asked about the, the offensive line and how good it's going to be, and he said, we're going to shock the world. Well, 
first of all, when Alabama's offensive line, Alabama's teams don't shock the world anymore. Well, maybe they are. Maybe because they haven't won in a couple of years. Maybe because Georgia's won the last couple of years. Maybe it is time that Alabama and J.C.'s were to shock the world. So I thought that was a very interesting comment. And I don't know if he meant it to have triple meanings, but it, it did to me. And, and then I think you got to take just a minute and salute Kool-Aid McKinstry. Because uh, if anybody wanted to show that they're Kool-Aid and they're big time, the way he was dressed today was simply awesome. He had like a Kool-Aid, it was like a great uh, blueberry uh, sport coat, was big bow tie. Um, he had so much bling and a big one was number one, you know, because he wears that jersey and he thinks they're number one. And I, I loved all that too. Um, and... I just think best dressed is hands down will be Kool-Aid McKinstry. Uh, and, of course, we'll talk some football about this, too. But uh, those yeah. are some of my quick observations. And, of course, uh, Saban said that uh, he really, really enjoyed his trip to Italy. I thought, though, he hinted in the fact that he didn't think he was going to. It says here in, in one of the comments, Saban tried to avoid Italy but loved it. Um, and then he also, uh, here's a question that I don't think has been posed in the history of the SEC. And that's how are you record, recruiting worldly? <laughs> did you see that question? I, I, yeah, he's I did. got a guy from Finland. He's got a guy from Germany, and the guy that asked the question, which is it's a good question. It is a good uh, question. Said you got the number one recruit out of Finland and the number one recruit out of Germany. That just cracked me up. But it is a world, uh, you know, particularly in basketball, we've seen contributions from Canada. But that's on this continent. Um, Alabama is is global and has been for quite some time. But I don't think anybody's ever asked about European recruiting in the history of SEC media today. No. Uh, and the the game, the love of, the, of just football in general, both uh, NFL and college, is spreading. I mean over overseas and it's particularly popular in germany i mean uh and it goes back to uh having a huge american uh military presence in germany still do and uh and 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 that i think that has had a big influence because when uh, when i was covering nfl europe for the book i did back in 2000 um, the, 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 the games in Germany typically, typically got like 40,000, 50,000 fans, whether it was in Dusseldorf, Berlin, uh, Frankfurt, and, uh, and we may be seeing some of the, the, the fruits of NFL Europe also, uh, because the kids who were watching it back then or their parents, their parents may have gotten interested and then they have small kids and they start teaching them the game of football or have them watching the game of football. And here we are, you know, 20 some years later after NFL Europe folded that uh, we're seeing uh, more and more talent being developed over there. And if you get recruited by Alabama and you're a kid from Germany, I mean, that that is just uh, uh, crazy. But uh, I know Coach Saban, he, he loves both of these kids, uh, the, the kid from Finland and from Germany. And, um, yeah, it, it just does underscore that, 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 that football is as global, more global now than it's ever been. When we come back, 
Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sandsting Union Home Mortgage. We'll be joined by Johnny Congdon, who is with ABC 3340. We had Speaks the first couple of days, and Johnny will be joining us the next two. Also, later in the show, we'll talk some Bulldogs and all with Hamp McCorder. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. What's on? Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Partially sunny this afternoon, the high today 95. Fair tonight, the low 77. Sizzling weather tomorrow and Friday, partly to mostly sunny both days. Thunderstorms will likely arrive Friday night. Highs between 95 and 98. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 91 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Going big sports. It's SEC Media Days. Really, it's SEC Media Week as it now goes from Monday through Thursday. We're going to talk some Alabama football here. This interview has been brought to you by one of our new sponsors. Love Laura Lee Thompson with Bama Broker and with Advantage Realty Group. Thank you, Laura Lee. Joining us now is Johnny Congdon, who is uh, with ABC 3340. As I mentioned, going to the break, we had uh, Jeff Spiegel on uh, first couple of days. Johnny's going to take over. Johnny, how you doing? What's going on in Nashville? Is it as hot there as it is here? <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. No, it was uh, it was pouring raining on my early morning drive up, so it's a little cooler up here, but the tanks always remain hot at SEC Media Days. I, I said it was uh, interesting this year. We didn't have any Saban, Jimbo, Fisher, Beast to report on and Actually, I, for the most part, I'd say most of these coaches and players, they're, they're playing nice. They're, uh, they're saying all the right things. But, uh, no, it's good to be up here because this is the time of year where we're inching closer and closer to the fall and getting ready to play some real football. So I appreciate you uh, having me on. You bet. You bet. Uh, just, just give us your overall take on what Nick Saban said when he was uh, addressing the media there just, just a couple hours ago. Well, uh, I certainly didn't expect him to make a, a reference comparing his quarterback to his grandma's old cake, saying that you got to keep it in the oven because they're not finished baking it. And, of course, it's the most important position in all of sports. So to call up the elephant in the room, I don't even think it's fair. I just think it's logical. And when you look at the Alabama quarterback situation, you're looking at former Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young, who arguably is the greatest quarterback that's ever played at this school. He's gone, and that's going to be a massive hold to fill. And for people that doubt Alabama this upcoming year, they're going to point to the quarterback position, and I think they'd be right to because there is not a proven guy in that room at that moment that's prepared to step up and take that away. We've seen glimpses of Jalen Milrow look really good. We've seen glimpses of Jalen Milrow look really bad. Uh, obviously, 
Tyler Buckner coming in from Notre Dame has some familiarity with Tommy Reese. We're going to see if that's a potential replacement for Bryce Young. And ultimately, we're cutting stuff for our 4 o'clock show right now. And basically, it's life after Will and Bryce. Obviously, Will Anderson Jr. on defense, Bryce Young on offense, and just trying to move to this next era of Alabama football. And how do you replace two guys that in many ways are irreplaceable? So that's going to be the task for Saban and company. And luckily, they've had a couple really good recruiting classes, and they got a crop of young players that are going to do fantastic, hopefully. But that's Alabama as we move into every season. They say they don't rebuild, they reload, and Alabama looks like they're coming into this season with a real chance to win the SEC West and get to Atlanta where they'll no doubt play Georgia in the SEC Championship game. So it's kind of business as usual for Saban and the Tide today. Hey, Johnny, it's Lars here. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, This is um, Nick Saban's 16th media days. And as far as I can remember, uh, I moved here at the same time Nick Saban did. This is the first time that Nick Saban has gotten up on the podium and not had uh, a message that he wanted to deliver, a big picture message to the rest of the college football landscape, whether it be about NIL, Transfer Portal. And he also didn't really have a message directed at his team. This was as vanilla as I've ever seen him. And and Matt and I deduce from that, uh, and we discussed this in our opening segment, that I take away, and Matt does too, that that Nick really likes his team. And he likes the fact that for the first time in a long time, they're legitimately an underdog to Georgia. And I think he loves what he is seeing or the reports he's getting back about the effort level from his players in summer conditioning. Is, is Was that kind of what you were thinking as well? Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of people look and go back to the quarterback, you say, well, you're losing Bryce Young. You're losing Will Anderson. Those are two top three NFL draft picks. You'd imagine any coach would be kind of upset by that. I think he looks at this as a challenge because obviously whoever's coming in to play quarterback isn't going to be as good as number nine was for the past two years. So they're going to try to go back to some of that bully ball. Now, are they going to throw 23 times a game? And is guys like Jamari and Miller and... Chase McClellan and Roy Williams going to carry the ball 30, 35 times a game like Derrick Henry did back in 2015? Of course not. But I think he's really looking forward to having a little balance. Obviously, when you look at Tommy Reese's career at Notre Dame, he hasn't been trigger happy. He hasn't wanted to run the ball 100 times a game. I mean, he had a balance when he was at Notre Dame. But I think Nick Saban, in a lot of ways, is looking forward to that return to what he would call normalcy, and I'd say normalcy is every season he's coached prior to 2014 when Lane Kiffin came to campus and kind of changed the way this Alabama offense looks. Now, I don't think they're completely hitting the rewind button. I don't think it's going to be you know, the four horsemen in Notre Dame, Newt Rock being three yards in a cloud of dust, but I, I do think a return to some balance, and as the fans at Alabama who have always loved to say, run the damn ball, I think there's going to be a little more of that mentality when this comes upcoming season for Alabama football. And you are right. Usually Nick Saban comes into these weeks and he has a real agenda. And today, I didn't hear a guy trying to make a point, trying to influence other members of the conference, whether that be coaches or players. I just think he said, hey, I got a really good football team. We don't know if we're as good as Georgia. We don't know if we have a chance to win the national championship, but we're going to let the chips fall where they may. And we're going to have a really competitive product that we're going to put on the field every Saturday. 
And I think he's interested in getting to camp. And I, I really think he does like this team, Lars. I think you're right when you say he's got a lot of confidence. And I think he likes the work ethic and the resolve that this team has shown through spring ball. And hopefully it carries over to the, uh, to the fall. Johnny, is there a feeling among the media that you can get that uh, even um, even reporters, photographers, and writers, and so forth are starting to feel the shift? Are they noticing and writing and talking about a shift of power from Tuscaloosa to Athens? Absolutely, and I, I think listening to Kirby Smart, hearing his comments, I was listening to him the other day when he's trying to find ways to motivate his team. I know he's used the word complacency trying to eliminate all complacency. He compared his football team, or I should say they were researching the All Blacks, the the New Zealand rugby team, who has like the highest win percentage of any sport team to ever play. And he was saying, we're studying everything they did because when you get to the level of dominance that Georgia has reached, where they're on the precipice, they win another national title, they will have won three in a row, which hasn't happened since the 1930s when Minnesota did it. So I think the proof is in the pudding. And for these fans in Alabama who have been the standard bearer for so long, I think it's upsetting to a lot of fans. And again, I'm on the cesspool that is Twitter, and you see everything from fake accounts, real accounts. And I think there's a level of frustration with the Alabama fan base that there's not signs in college game day saying, we want Bama anymore. It's switched to Georgia. And I think they've earned that. Kirby Smart is a young man still. I mean, he's going to be in Georgia for an incredibly long time. They've had an unbelievable retention rate, both on the roster and in their coaching staff. So although I think Alabama will have as good a shot as any to beat Georgia if they do end up meeting in the SEC championship game, I think Georgia will be the favorite in that game, and they've deserved it. The proof is in the pudding. What they did to TCU last year in the national championship game was laughable. They made almost a mockery of the national title game because they're just that good. And I think there's been a clear change of power. And I think Nick Saban is doing everything in his power on the recruiting trail and in his coaching staff to try to combat that. But, the, I mean, Georgia's not going away. And I think everyone here in Nashville this week has reconciled the fact that no one has won three national championships in a row in an incredibly long time, going back almost a century now. And Georgia's got as good a shot as any, and they'll probably be the Vegas odds-on favorite to do it this year. If there was an honor given for the best outfit at SEC Media Days, (laughs) Kool-Aid McKinstry wouldn't just win it this year. He would be, like, all decade. (laughs) He would win the (laughs) all-decade award. Because that necklace that he is wearing, that diamond-studded necklace with his jersey number one with the Kool-Aid man on top in reference to his nickname, uh, is just, it's, it's, it's unbeatable. But I think, to me, it almost signifies something else, is that he is confident. He is the leader of this team, and he realizes that he is a special player. I mean, I, I know that may be looking too much and reading too much into it, but I've just never seen anyone. And also it says that he's got a heck of a lot of NIL money. Sure, um, sure. But, but um, You don't, I don't think know. all those diamonds were real, <laughs> do you? <laughs> of course not. Um, no, uh, I don't know. What What was your takeaway from Kool-Aid's, uh, his, his outfit? He's got a lot of grown man swagger. And I just, swag, as the kids call it, he's got Deion Sanders 
Darrell Revis, Steph Gilmore, Sauce Gardner, these, these generational type of cornerbacks where they, when they step on the field, rather if they believe it or not, they tell themselves they're the best player on the field and that they're going to eliminate half the football field. And Kool-Aid McKinstry had that since the day he walked, or I shouldn't say walked on. He was one of the highest recruits, but since he stepped on campus in Tuscaloosa. When he was at Pittsburgh Valley, he was going up with, you know, Bo Nix, who he grew up with. So he's used to playing top-flight talent, and he's obviously one of the most talented cornerbacks Alabama's had in the last three or four years. And he's embraced that number one cornerback role of pending injury and performance days where it's been the last two years. He's probably going to be the highest drafted Alabama football player this upcoming draft cycle. And he's got that confidence. He's got that swagger. And obviously his teammate Dallas Turner, who was here, who is kind of assuming the mantle from Will Anderson as the dominant defensive lineman on this team. I mean, we've had an opportunity to watch both of these guys grow up. And I, I, I do believe that they're ready to take real leadership roles because as good as guys like Will Anderson were on the field, on between the wide lines, I mean, there was no question who the alpha dog in that locker room was on the defensive side of the football. That was Will Anderson. And for dealing guys like Dallas Turner and Floyd McKinstry today, they're ready to assume that responsibility. And I mean, when it comes to college football specifically, never underestimate power structure when it comes to the locker room and when it comes to leadership roles, especially in a Nick Saban coach environment, because that stuff certainly matters. And Kool-Aid McKinstry is certainly right at the top of that pecking order for Alabama defensively. Well, the media will uh, put together their ballots later today, I think, because they announced it on Thursday. Maybe they already have, but uh, when you fill out your ba- ballot, who do you have in the East and who do you have in the West? Well, you know, I'll tell you, last year when I did it, I said I'm going to go, I want to juke with everyone jogs. I thought Georgia might have come off a, a national championship hangover, and I actually picked Tennessee last year to come out of the East and Alabama to the West. Now, I'm going chalk this year. Alabama out of the West. Georgia out of the East, and I think it's going to set up to be a terrific game in Atlanta for the SEC championship game. What I would predict right now, you know, in July, that I think Georgia would win. But I I just think when you look at what they've done recruiting-wise, obviously Stenson Bennett was so good for so many years, but they might have a talent upgrade at quarterback, as crazy as that night sounds. Uh, I'm taking Georgia out of the East. I, I, I believe Kirby. I, I'm done doubting Georgia and their system and the way it's being run because I think there's many comparisons to what happened in Tuscaloosa over the last 15 or so years. So I, I hate to give you the boring answer, but I, I'm taking Alabama in the West and I'm taking Georgia in the East. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot here since we've been talking sure. quarterbacks. Um, who do you think is going to be lining up behind center week two against Texas because I, I think all three are going to play week sure. one uh, and I think Nick is going to use that to his advantage by not announcing the starter probably until right before kickoff to keep Texas a little off balance but uh, who and what does your gut tell you right now my initial reaction is that Jalen Monroe is going to have every opportunity to win this job uh, I think his dual threat ability. I mean, when, when we saw Jalen Milrow last year taking reps behind Bryce Young, it looked like a linebacker playing quarterback. And you realize that Arkansas game on that third and long when he got loose and scrambled all the way for a touchdown, you realize what a weapon he is. And if he could continue to work on his passing and maybe add a little more touch to his ball, some of the throws he'd like to have back from that A&M game that was far too close. 
Uh, I, I truly think that Jalen Monroe is going to have a real opportunity to win this game because I just don't believe Ty has been a finished product yet. Now, obviously, the wild card is Tyler Buckner, who comes from Notre Dame. I just look at the power structure that's in Tuscaloosa right now. I don't underestimate how likable that Jalen Monroe is and how his teammates really support him going back to when he took over for Bryce when he went down with that bum shoulder in Fayetteville last year. So will he be the starting quarterback, let's say, in the SEC championship game in December against Georgia? I'm not going to predict that far, but I think week two at home against the Texas Longhorns, I'll take a shot in the dark right now, and I'll say Jalen Milrow will be the quarterback for Alabama. Yeah, um, I think that is sort of the you got to figure that he's the the leader in the clubhouse right now. Um, and I know that this is something that we're going to get into on, on, on the other side. Um, anything from J.C. Latham that uh, he said that uh, surprised you? I mean, I, I, in the comments uh, that I was able to uh, to to see that uh, he spoke about, you know, being disrespected and how the offensive line is going to shock sure. the world. You don't necessarily hear that very often from Alabama players. Wait, real quick. No, he, he deserves a, a real quick footnote here on his bling because he has this huge TK. And he was asked, <laughs> what is that TK diamond thing, man? He said, Trench King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually, we just had an opportunity. I got to speak one-on-one with JC probably a little less than an hour ago. We are running tonight at 10 o'clock on ABC 30 News. And the one thing that he basically said is we need to remind people that we are Alabama, especially when it comes to the trenches. Because I think if you look back to this past spring, well, obviously not a lot of information comes in and out of Alabama spring practice. We're no longer allowed to watch the practice sessions. We're not allowed to head into the scrimmages. So the only real glimpse that we got to look at that offensive line was the spring game. But from all the players we talked to, to all the people we've talked to behind the scenes and some of the sources that I have inside that building, they said, watch out for this Alabama offensive line. It's going to be like a revival of some of the lines in the past on some of those earlier Alabama teams that featured running backs like Mark Ingram and Trent Richardson and TJ Yeldon. So I, I think Alabama offensively, I think the identity is going to go back to what it was for a hundred so years. I think it's going to be big bullies in the trenches and they're going to run the football and then they'll work the play action from that run game. And I think that's really going to benefit whoever the quarterback is, because if you have a run game that can be as dominant as this Alabama one looks like it can be, I mean, they have three terrific running backs in the room right now. And I'm not even mentioning guys like Justin Bates who's coming in from Jupiter, Georgia. I mean, I covered Jamarian Miller at Tyler Legacy High School when I was in East Texas. I, he, he's as talented and impressive as a young back in the country, I believe. And we haven't really even gotten to see what he's like as a featured back. Roydell Williams, who showed his potential as a short yard back last year, was so good in Baton Rouge against LSU. And then, of course, Jace McClellan, who could pop off for 80 yards any given play. So I think if the holes are there, these Alabama running backs are talented enough to make these teams pay. And from talking to J.C. Latham today, I think he's ecstatic to get out there and show the country and the college football world just how good this Alabama offensive line can truly be. 
Johnny, outstanding job. What do you say we do it in about 24 hours? Yeah, great stuff. Yeah, Johnny. we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. I appreciate it. And if uh, anything else happens here, we'll be sure to let you know. So I appreciate you having me on, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Sure. Absolutely. Johnny Congdon from ABC 3340's um, Sports Department. And that particular interview, uh, all our Bama interviews are going to be sponsored by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. As we go into break, let's hear from Nick Saban talking about his grandma's bacon cakes. The number one that people are most interested in is the quarterback. Um, we had a great quarterback, won the Heisman Trophy. Bryce did a fantastic job for us. So we have three guys that are competing for that position right now. Uh, all those players are getting better, and it's important for us that all those players get better. I don't think anybody has actually separated themselves yet to this point, and I don't think it's something that we're trying to rush. Uh, I used the analogy earlier you know, Grandma Saban used to bake the best cakes in the world. And I used to stand by the oven when I was a kid and say, when's this cake going to be done? When's this cake going to be done? And she said, if I don't let it go through and take it out of the oven too soon, it's going to turn to mush, so it won't be a really good cake. So I think we got to let this sort of develop uh, and make sure we let the cake bake until somebody separates themselves and all the players are working hard. They all have a good attitude. They're all competing well. At other positions on offense, we probably, uh, I think, are improved. Um, receivers are... From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. How do Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. really hard. I'm encouraged by the progress that the team has made. Um, I think every team has to create its own identity uh, by what they do in terms of how they come together as a team, uh, how people buy into the principles and values of the organization, respect and trust those things, respect and trust each other, have positive energy about how they go about their work and how they impact and affect other people. And everybody's got to learn to be responsible for their own self-determination. You know, football is a great game to take responsibility to do my job. But you also have a responsibility to the other 10 guys to do your job because they're all depending on you. So we're all depending on each other. Uh, football is one of the most interdependent games of any game played where everybody has to do their job for things to work out like you you want, want it to work out. So uh, I think we've got some good young talent on our team. Uh, I think we've got some experience on our team. Uh, I think we have a pretty good mindset on our team. Our team seems to be you know, pretty hungry this year and motivated. Uh, like all teams, we probably have some issues that are created by graduations. and. 
Well, there you have it. Nick Saban just a few hours ago in Nashville, Tennessee, talking about SEC Media Day. So that's what's uh, happening in Nashville. It was, and today our, our show will be pretty much all Alabama. We do need to go back at, at some time. We're going to have Nick Saban talk about uh, Hugh Freeze in Auburn. But uh, got to go back to yesterday afternoon because it's quite impactful that Auburn has Hugh Freeze back in the SEC. And we'll talk about that in just a, a little bit. But, Lars, um, I want to go back to something that uh, Latham referred to uh, as far as uh, shock in the world. Um, we've talked about this. I don't know in, into what depth, but I just get the feeling that while there not be a, it may not be a Derrick Henry, uh, this Justin Haynes kid's pretty good, uh, and, and so are Roydell Williams and uh, Jace, but I just get the feeling that you're really going to see, and, and, and not just a slight shift in the way Alabama runs their offense this year. And when all that's said and done, Lars, what does it come down to? Center, two guards, two tackles. And something tells me Alabama's going to line up and run the football two times out of three. I do not agree. Or I'm sorry, I agree 100% with that assessment. Um, and it, all right, and, and hear, hear me out. I, I've got some thoughts here on the quarterback room and the quarterback battle. I've uh, been thinking about it. And uh, let's start with uh, Tyler Buckner. A lot of people say, well, he's got this familiarity with uh, Tommy Reese. The thing is, Tommy Reese is not running the Notre Dame offense. Tyler, or Tommy Reese is running what Nick Saban tells him to run, and that is the Alabama offense. And I think you're right. It is going to be more of a, of a almost like a, a gosh, a, a 2000... I think the equivalent would almost be like a, a 2009 type of offense where you want your like, uh, you know, Greg McElroy, uh, you want your quarterback just to really manage the game, uh, hit the hit the play action deep ball. Uh, once those safeties uh, creep up to the line of scrimmage to stop the run. And uh, and, and so Tyler Buckner he just arrived on campus in May. It is incredibly difficult to win over the team, right? And we all know that that is sort of the measurement of who is going to be the starter, to win over the team and earn the, the, the faith and the belief of, the team, of your teammates that you'll get it done when, uh, it, when the situation looks bleak or you know, when it matters most, you'll deliver. And that's a hard thing to achieve in a short amount of time. Back in 2014, I think it was, uh, we had uh, Jake Coker transfer from Florida State. All of us thought that Jake Coker was going to be the starter. Well, that didn't turn out that way. A former running back, Blake Sims, becomes the starter under Lane Kiffin. And uh, it just took Jake, I think, longer to, you know, get to know the guys and for the guys to believe in him. And it, it, it took him getting, uh, you know, some experience the next season and uh, and then ultimately leading Alabama to a national title. And so I, I think 
Tyler Buckner, it, it's it's going to be tough for him. Uh, maybe he can do it, but history says that it's not necessarily going to be an easy thing. And and I, it, it just it sounds like with the kind of offense that Saban wants to run. And I agree with you, Matt. It is going to be a run-first offense. It's going to be power. It is going to be ball control. I think Saban, in his mind, keeps going back to the Tennessee game where uh, those last two plays before Alabama attempts a field goal, there are passes. Uh, Well, you know what? If Alabama had a better running game, you could have bled time off the clock and prevented Tennessee from having that chance to uh, move the ball down the field incredibly and win the game. I mean, it, it really uh, <laughs> it was a really incredible string of events that, that led to that. I think that has stuck with Saban. And, uh, and so I think he's going to want a quarterback who can just hit those throws over the top when they're there. And also just the, the, the mid-range, you know, the, the easy ones. And and then, you know, be smart with your decision-making. Now, can Ty Simpson show that he is that guy who can, can make the right decision and go to the right person once you go through your, as you go through your progressions? Can he be more than a one read quarterback and, and, and get to that third guy really quick if he needs to? Uh, it, that remains to be seen. Um, it just, it, and so this is a long winded way of saying, I, my money is now on Ty Simpson. It really is. I think Ty Simpson is uh, going to be the starter against Texas. And I do think Milroe will have a role in this offense when they want to, uh, you know, run option or, 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 or do, you know, uh, RPOs uh, in maybe goal line. I think Milroe can have a, a fairly substantial role but I think the the starter and the go-to guy is ultimately going to be Simpson, just for the reasons that that I mentioned. Um, and Matt, you and I, we haven't had a chance to really go this deep on it. Uh, but now that uh, now that I, I've done this dive into it, what, what's your reaction, or, or what are your thoughts right now after hearing everyone uh, speak at Alabama? Uh, this morning and and also Nick Saban's comments. Well, I, I first of all think that you must have uh, gained another job and that's speech writer for Greg McElroy because what you said about Ty Simpson mirrors what he said a couple of hours ago on the SEC network. However, he said something that, uh, and, and I kind of disagree with parts of what you're saying and I want to address that on the other side of this break. But McElroy said one thing about Tyler Buckner that, uh, and Tommy Reese that I just totally went, what? I, sh- I did, what do, you, what do you call it now with the acronyms everybody's using on text? SMH? Is that shake my head? <laughs> That's it. All right. I I'll legitimately did like, not see Greg McElroy for the record. If I, if, 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 no, if it I mean, appears it's, it's, that I'm like stealing his thoughts, I would have credited him. He would steal him. your stuff before you would steal his. So that's why I said you wrote no, it. I, I love him. Greg. Greg and I have a oh, terrific he does a relationship. Sensational job. Yeah. Um, 
And you want to talk about a great – he could throw real well. And uh, don't know that Alabama's – and they had a lot of them – had a better game manager. McElroy was right there. All right, when we get back, I'll tell you why I disagreed on what McElroy had to say. As you listen to Big Noon Sports – Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Partially sunny this afternoon, the high today 95. Fair tonight, the low 77. Sizzling weather tomorrow and Friday, partly to mostly sunny both days. Thunderstorms will likely arrive Friday night. Highs between 95 and 98. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 93 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Vacation uh, to Italy. Uh, just to clear that up, uh, that was our 50th wedding anniversary gift to Miss Terry uh, from some of our friends, which I successfully got out of for two years. Failed to be able to get out of it this year. Didn't really want to go, but it was a fabulous time. Fabulous. And I would recommend anybody do it. Um, Lots of good culture, uh, great um, architecture, uh, art, uh, a lot of good things to see. Um, so, and I thought nobody would know us anywhere that we went, and we got roll tided everywhere we went. So, uh, even in the Ferrari plant, you know, we had a tour of the Ferrari plant, and these cats don't even speak English. And we're getting roll tied. So um, I guess we must have a pretty decent brand. I'm talking about the University of Alabama now. Uh, and uh, But it was an enjoyable trip, and I'd recommend it to anyone. Really cool stuff. And um, I'm going to take his advice because uh, Italy is a bucket list for me. Uh, I love Italian food. I love the Italian culture. And uh, the, the older I get, Lars, the more I like Italian red wines. But we're not going to go down that road right now. I wanted to get back to my small beef with Greg McElroy. After Saban was at the podium, they went to, you know, the SEC media set, the, the, the network. And uh, he said that he thought, by the way, Lars, he agrees with you. He thinks Ty Simpson will ultimately be the quarterback. But he said he did not think that Tyler Buckner had an advantage at all with the offensive coordinator being Tommy Reese. And I just, you know, basic logic. You, you know the kid, first of all. You know his athletic tendencies. and But he said that a couple of times, and I went, come on, man. That's got to give you some kind of an advantage, doesn't it, Lars? <laughs> uh, yeah, you would think so. You would think oh. so. Um, but I, I wanted to go into something that you said earlier, too, that I, I've, I've got a, just a, a small – and maybe we just didn't understand. Um, it, will be, it will be Saban's offense. But under the past years, under him, when he hires an offensive coordinator, he does give that coordinator the ability to change under his direction, but change in the direction of the offensive coordinator. I think you can look at Brian Kelly. Uh, there's no better example than Lane Kiffin. Uh, Lane Kiffin talked Saban into doing some different stuff, and it worked. So I think it'll always be Saban's offense, and I think the the overall theory 
uh, goal of the offense is going to change under Saban because they're going to run the football more, and we just discussed that last segment. But don't you think Tommy Reese will have a little curveball in this? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I, I, I think Saban personally selected Tommy Reese because Reese's style of offense that he ran at Notre Dame is similar to what Saban wants to do. True. And uh, and with more uh, more like two tight end packages and 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 really just ground and pound and win the line of scrimmage and more old school hard nosed uh, uh, ball control, um, you know, take time off the clock and and just just really establish your physicality uh, right at the point of attack. Um, but that being said, I mean, everything's new. But it, it was interesting that, that Saban went out of his way a couple different times, and we, we played the clip, uh, to say how impressed he is with Tommy Reese and how much he just loves the the loves the I said kid because he's he's a pretty young offensive he's like coordinator. Yeah, I mean, I did. I it seems like yesterday he was playing quarterback at Notre Dame, um, but uh, I mean, I, I would was covering him and it doesn't seem that long ago <laughs> me too um, very very he was really gracious and uh and and uh just uh, very pleasant to be around when he was a player um obviously haven't been around him since he's gotten to alabama but yeah saban went out of his way to just uh say what again hard worker and you know what a great football mind and um and to me, it's almost like, wow, uh, Tommy Reese, he's, he's going to be a head coach here very soon and not just a coach, not just a not just at a program that, um, you know, is, is middle of the pack. Like he, he could be setting himself up for a really good coaching position somewhere uh, if the offense does what I think it will. And I think it's going to it's going to look radically different than last year. And uh, and but I think it's going to be more efficient because too often last year, it just seemed like, you know, you had such a superior talent in Bryce Young and it's just, well, you know, if if things go wrong, hey, Bryce is going to make a play for us. Bryce will get us out of this hole. Um, there, there could have been too much uh, reliance on, on Bryce Young and, and his absolute brilliance uh, when he was on the field. But um, it'll be, this is going to be a really fascinating season uh, because there are so many unknowns about this Alabama team. What will the defense look like now that Will Anderson is gone? Who's going who's gonna to emerge as that force in the front seven? Will it be Dallas Turner? I mean, Dallas Turner, he did only have four sacks last year playing opposite of Will Anderson. You would have thought that he would have had a bigger season. Is Dallas Turner now going to turn it up and and be as impactful as Will Anderson was? That's a, that's a big ask, I know. But uh, a lot of questions, and uh, it'll just be it'll be great, great uh, theater to watch it all play out. By the way, Tommy Rees is thirty one, and he just turned thirty one. So, yeah, it was less than 10 years ago. He was a college football quarterback. He was playing against Alabama, for that matter. Got a big question never been asked in the history of all of sports. Well, no, 
But in the history of the show, how about that? You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Uptown Square Media Station. WTUG HD2 Northport. W265CG Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. You know, we have some new coaches that I've been asked about, uh, two new coordinators, uh, which it's always most difficult to uh, replace people on your staff that are in positions of leadership. Uh, but Tommy Reese uh, is a bright young guy who's done a really, really good job. Players relate well to him. Uh, he relates well to them. Uh, he's a good presenter. Uh, he's very bright uh, and understands the game conceptually very, very well and has done a really good job of implementing our offense and adding to it things that I think will benefit us in the future. Kevin Steele is a longtime defensive coordinator in this league. He's coached with us a couple times before, so he knows the system. He knows what's expected. And Robert Bala is a new uh, inside linebackers coach. There's Nick Saban. He was at the podium earlier today and We'll continue with more throughout the afternoon, and SEC Media Days will be concluded on Thursday. Lars, as we get to our second hour on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage, I'll uh, ask you a question that uh, I have been pondering the last half hour, and I've got to make an adjustment here technically over the air, but I am getting a one and a half second delay in my headset. So uh, if you could tend to that, Justin, I would appreciate that very much. And I believe you have done just that. Uh, Lars, if uh, it had been last two seasons, Georgia has won back-to-back. If it had been Georgia and Ohio State or Tennessee and Georgia or if anybody else but not Georgia and Georgia would but not Alabama, either one. Let's say it was USC in Georgia. Would there be as many people claiming that Saban has lost his fastball and that the tide is on the decline? Do I believe that? Yeah. Do you think oh. if it had not been oh. back-to-back Georgias, oh, it had been back-to-back it. somebody yep. else, I don't think the criticism and the finger-pointing about Saban's gone and all this kind of stuff would be half of what it is now. Uh, I agree. I agree. And in the fact that it's his protege that has um, that has, you know, put some distance between himself and and Nick Saban for the time being. uh, I think that just uh, adds to the storyline and the richness of it, frankly, because uh, it's just like, man, he, he learned from the master. 
and usually the master, right? Does you don't teach you don't teach the proteges everything. You keep a little right. bit in your own in your own bag of tricks. And uh, and Kirby Smart though uh, has uh, he he's just doing it at, at a different level. And and we've talked about it how um, you know different NFL people who visit programs around the country have have told me personally that that Georgia is just uh, an absolute machine right now when it comes to both uh, recruiting, when it comes to keeping players, when it comes to keeping staff, when it comes to player development. Uh, They're doing everything just uh, at a level that is higher than everyone else. And that serves as the, you know, the motivational fuel that is uh, apparently powering all of the uh, all of the uh, the the work that the Alabama players are putting in right now because by all accounts the summer conditioning program is going very very well and again if it wasn't Saban would have sent a message to his players when he was up at the podium uh, he didn't do that I think Saban absolutely loves where he is uh, he loves the fact that, you know, he's no longer the program that everyone is chasing. Uh, he is now the chaser instead of the chase C. Is that a word? Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, I, I think that, um, uh, again, he just loves where, he, where he's at. And, and also, I, I want to, Matt, just switch topic here a little bit and go to Hugh Freeze and and uh, what he had to say at SEC Media Days uh, yesterday. Uh, the first words out of his mouth at the podium were, it's good to be back. And, uh, and then, you know, he, w- he was asked if he regretted a tweet daring, when he was at Ole Miss, he dared anyone with proof of violations to contact compliance. Well, guess what happened? Somebody contacted compliance. And his response was, quote, sometimes you make decisions that probably aren't the sharpest, unquote. And that, just that comment alone, it shows you that Freeze is different now. He's been humbled and you can really show it. I mean, he um, he was very transparent when it came, and this is unlike Jimbo Fisher, who uh, absolutely would not reveal anything about uh, his offense. He, he revealed what kind of uh, offense that, that he wants and the fact, why, why aren't you going to be uh, uh, doing uh, uh, play calling? Why are you giving up play calling responsibilities? And, um, and, and Hugh Freeze just said, you know, I need help. And uh, so now it's uh, Philip Montgomery who is gonna be running Freeze's systems uh, Freeze's system, and, and there might be times in which Freeze could step in and call plays, but it, it's mostly going to be Montgomery, um, and uh, and so I, I just I, I think Freeze just he came off as uh, as exactly if you're an Auburn fan as exactly as you'd hoped. Like he 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 legitimately appears to be a changed man. And you and I spoke about this yesterday about, you know, what what would we ask you Freeze uh, if we had a chance, if we had him one-on-one? And the number one question I would ask him is how are you different now than you were six years ago? 
And he addressed that. And he addressed that in a way that um, it, 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 he told stories that showed his humility rather than just saying, well, I've been humbled. You know, I mean, you, you could tell. You could tell, and there was a sincerity in his voice and in his eyes that is, was as genuine as anything. So that, that, that's just my quick quick assessment of Hugh Freeze. Uh, how, how about you, Matt? Did you get a chance to uh, see his comments? Uh, oh, yeah. And um, I, I think that uh, this is true for a lot of us, not just football coaches. Um, you can be a person of great faith, humility, and then suddenly you're thrust in the limelight and you're doing pretty good, and suddenly some of those morals that you've had before, maybe I can do that. And I think he's returned to the guy before the issue because I think he was that way, a humble, faith-loving, family guy before, and now I think he's back. Am I misreading that? Uh, Absolutely not. No, I think no. I think you know, and and Lars, you and I have probably done that. You know, I'm not going to get into any great detail, but sometimes when you reach a certain amount of success, maybe even more so than you, maybe it comes faster. And I think if it comes faster and it comes younger, then suddenly you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, "Well, maybe this one time." And I I think personally, he certainly hadn't told me. I think that's what happened to Hugh Freeze. But I don't think not only has he returned to the guy that he was before, I think he is even better and more humble. Now, you know, I, I hope I haven't jinxed his situation when he starts winning at Auburn. He doesn't go back that way, but I really don't think that's going to happen. And I think a lot of that's attributed to his faith. Um, and we'll see. And I, I now think, uh, although many, th- many thought Lane Kiffin would be at Auburn, including our good friend Terry Henley, uh, who knows that program inside and out. But here's another thing that I think Hugh Freeze has been able to do. If you'll remember, Lars, of course you do. We were talking about it. Um, that hire was didn't go over 100%. It didn't go over with everybody at Auburn. Um, you know, some people go, well, we did that with Bruce Burrell. Well, you did. And guess, look what happened. We went to the Final Four. But there were objections, and there were objections from people with a voice at Auburn. And in the course of just seemed like a month, you freeze made all that disappear. Does, I think he's got everybody in orange and blue on, on the same page now. And he didn't have that when he was first hired. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I just, he was himself. Again, he, he, was, he was genuine. He was heartfelt. He almost appeared, uh, he did appear uh, contrite for his actions and, and grateful for the second chance that he's getting to be back in the SEC. And, you know, uh, six years ago, uh, he, uh, he, I don't think he would have offered up a, a long answer on, on teaching financial literacy uh, to his players because of the influx of NIL money. Um, and he just, he just, I don't know. It just seems genuine. He seems genuine. And go back a year ago to SEC Media Days and just think about the state of the Auburn program when you had Brian Harson come in and talk uh, directly about the coup to get him fired after his first year as coach, <laughs> right? Uh, a lot has changed. 
And it has changed for the better because I do think that the Auburn fan base uh, can really rally around Hugh Freeze. Because uh, uh, Hugh Freeze at his best is a very uh, engaging, uh, uh, just uh, charismatic uh, personality. And, uh, and, and that shined through uh, yesterday, as as well as his uh, his genuineness and his remorse and his humility, like I said, his humility, and uh, and Nick Saban even mentioned the word humility, and, and he went into kind of a, a deep dive of how important it is to to have humility, and that allows you to uh, to go and, and work your work your hardest, and allows you to learn from other people, and, and you know, and so on. And and uh, but yeah, Hugh Freeze. I I I think Auburn got it right. I really do. Uh, this uh, this could turn out to be a home run hire. Yep, we'll see. Uh, he doesn't have enough horses in the stable right now, but um, I think he wins seven games this upcoming season. I think he scares a couple of teams. He might even upset somebody, but. He's using the transfer portal. We already see what he can do on the recruiting front. Um, Auburn is on the rise, even though that's not what a lot of us want to hear on this side of the state in Alabama. Anyway, you're listening to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Um, Big news. Now, step away from SEC Media Days for just a couple of minutes. Big news uh, about a signing bonus in Major League Baseball. And, and big news for the Stallions and my Packers coming up on Big Noon Sports. as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. This Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Partially sunny this afternoon, the high today 95. Fair tonight, the low 77. Sizzling weather tomorrow and Friday, partly to mostly sunny both days. Thunderstorms will likely arrive Friday night. Highs between 95 and 98. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 92 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, 
Justin Jones, thanks for your help back at uh, Tide 100.9, our flagship station. Lars Anderson and Matt Coulter will be joined at the bottom of the hour by Georgia's Hap McCorder. Uh, Lars, uh, I text you and Justin yesterday afternoon because I was really pleased to see, first of all, that Alex Goo, Stallion's quarterback and most valuable player, uh, was going to get a shot at the NFL. But, uh, then it made me really pleased to see that it, uh, he was signed with a Green Bay Packer. And there is room, Lars Anderson, in that quarterback room. Yeah, um, and we still don't know what we're going to get out of Jordan Love. And so, you know, uh, Jordan Love may be the next big thing. Who, who knows? Just because we absolutely have don't have a big enough sample size. Uh, I know the coaching, coaching staff believes in him at Green Bay. Uh, I know that he's performed well in practice, but you know what? Practice isn't game, and <laughs> it's a totally different animal. And uh, I, I think it's a great situation for Alex Magoo, and um, I'm not sure who the Green Bay Packers' back quarterback is. Do you know what this? Uh, it's Cl- Sean Clifford and Etling. Uh, guys, to be honest with you, I'm not real familiar with. Uh, yeah, he's going to compete with Sean Clifford. Yeah, Sean Clifford is a former um, uh, uh, Penn State player uh, who who actually I, I think was uh, you know he, he was he was very good at, at Penn State. But I, I just I love Alex Magoo, and I, I think he could be a terrific NFL player. And again, you just you look at what he did last year in the USFL. And I know USFL competition isn't the NFL. However, I uh, passed for over 2,100 yards, 20 touchdowns, just five picks. Also ran for 400 yards and five touchdowns. It was the league MVP. MVP. Um, and he passed for another eight touchdowns in the playoffs and ran for one more. I mean, uh, and, and, and Skip Holtz, you know, Skip Holtz couldn't contain what he thought about him. He said, quote, I think he's as good as I've ever been around, and I've been around a lot of NFL quarterbacks. So um, uh, so he now is uh, going to be going against Clifford for that backup job, and, and Clifford um, was uh, selected in, in the fifth round in, in April, and so you're going against a guy that they have invested a draft pick in. And so they are going to give every chance for Clifford to win that job. And so it could come down to competing against Danny Etling, uh, who is 28, for that third string job. And third string usually is he's going to be on the practice roster. And I don't know what kind of uh, um, eligibility Etling has for the practice roster. But uh, I do know that he's never taken a regular season snap. He's 28 again. So I think Magoo has just, uh, he's got a great chance, um, not just to be the backup to start the season, uh, but if if he's not that, then to be on the practice squad and just sort of hang around and be with the organization and be a developmental player. And and, um, he's exciting. And and he honestly i think he would just make a great backup because he makes plays and and he can make plays with his feet and to me if if you have a backup quarterback who can run that is so important because it it just gives you a different dynamic 
that 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 they're going to get out of Jordan Love. Jordan Love's going to stay in the pocket, no question. And uh, but I, I I love the pickup for the Packers, and I, and I think ultimately this is going to be a great fit. And I think that um, I, I think Magoo knows that, and I I would bet a lot of money that he had multiple offers from different NFL teams and he and his agent strategically picked the one team where he thought he'd have the best opportunity to stick and it certainly appears if you just sort of break down the depth chart at Green Bay that he has a tremendous opportunity in front of him. Maybe the best shot in the NFL and that proves exactly what you were just saying but um couple observations on Magoo. First of all, he grew to become a big-time player in big-time games. And I think that certainly bodes well as, as you head to the next level in the National Football League. I also believe that we watched him here in Birmingham, uh, along with Skip Holtz, develop as a quarterback. There's no question in my mind, had he not come to the USFL, he would be a very successful uh, manager at a car dealership. Uh, nothing wrong with that, by the way. I wish I were one. Uh, <laughs> but my point is that he probably wouldn't have uh, progressed or proceeded as an NFL or a potential professional quarterback unless he'd gone. He could have gone to the Canadian Football League, um, maybe the XFL, something like that, and developed there. But I know had he not gone somewhere, he wouldn't develop. And how much he developed, uh, he was a backup to Jamar at the beginning of last season and potentially the beginning of this season because Jamar got injured again. Um, but it's just if you just take game one through 12 this year in the USFL and you just watch how much better and better and better and better he got and then how much confidence, it just played with such confidence. Um, I think he's going to make the Packers squad and it may be his number two quarterback. I hope so because he sure is a fun guy to watch. Now, uh, What's happening next? Uh, what about Jay Sternberger? I am really surprised. Uh, if he signed somewhere, I hadn't seen it, Lauren. Uh, you know, I think Jace is going to take his time and uh, just let see where the market comes or, or where or what, what his market is. And, uh, and he's, he's definitely going to get a shot. I mean, there's, there's no question about it. He'll be with the team in camp. I mean, he, he clearly was uh, the best tight end. I mean, he was, he was named all USFL and led the league in touchdown catches. And, and uh, got to remember, like, he possesses a ton of just natural talent. And that really came through this year. I mean, he was a third round pick of the Packers in 2019, right? I mean, we, we, he, he's a special player. You know he, he's got he's got the speed and and, uh, and and he can get down the field, really good hands. Uh, he creates mismatches uh, with safeties, um, and so I, I would be shocked if he's not uh, with a team uh, in training camp. And I would be equally surprised if he doesn't make a squad. Uh, again, I'm not sure what his practice squad eligibility is. But um, I, I think that I think he can stick on a 53 man. Um, gosh, I know my Cincinnati Bengals, they could they could use they could they could use him <laughs> uh, because uh, they do have Irv Smith, Jr., uh, former Alabama player 
But he, Irv Smith is, has missed so much time over the last two seasons with injuries, uh, the, and the Bengals have nothing behind him. So that would be I, I, that would be my ideal. Hey, you know what? You're a Packers guy, and the the, the quarterback goes to the pack, and I think it's only fair if the <laughs> the, the, the tight end who's our guy goes to the goes Bengals. Goes to the Bengals? Nah, yeah, he goes to the Bengals, and then we can do a we weekly. We, hey, then we can do a weekly uh, catch-up with Chase, just like we did this last year. But we can, you know, get what the inside the get the inside Gee, scoop with nice. what's going on with the Bengals. Yeah, yeah, that works out nice. Well, then we can get Magoo to uh, report for the Packers. So yeah, absolutely, we, have set up, but, uh, we could have we can have you know, two guys I... two guys embedded with our favorite teams, and we can you know get the inside uh, juice. More I think about it. Uh, the more I think that really would be a great fit for uh, Sternberger and Cincinnati because um, he creates that mismatch. You remember, we watched the games. Oftentimes, he didn't line up as a tight end. He was in the slot. And, and then there you got a corner who's not big enough and a safety who's not fast enough or strong enough. And, um, and with the experience of Joe, your man Burrow, um, <clears throat> he could really, really become a good tight end, a good receiver. Yeah, in the and, he, and he fits. He fits what Cincinnati wants. They don't necessarily need a in-line blocking tight end. They want a tight end that is simply capable of blocking. Doesn't have to be an elite blocker, but they really are more interested in having a guy that was going to be have a mismatch over the middle. Because why? Because they have uh, Jamar Chase on the outside. They got T. Higgins on the outside. What does that do? That pushes the safeties to the outside and creates space in the middle. I mean, especially, do you think a linebacker could cover Chase Sternberger? I mean, even a, a, you know, a, a top-level NFL linebacker? I mean, that's a, that's a big ask. No, I don't. There may be a handful that can at least attempt it. But um, I, I, I think, and pardon me for uh, forgetting, but the MVP of the league, uh, of the championship game, Davis just signed somewhere, and I've forgotten. I'll have to look that up during the break. Uh, and we are going to take a break here on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Coming up next, we'll talk uh, to a son of uh, former and late Commissioner Boyd McWhorter. He's, uh, he's a good friend of Lars and myself, and... Um, Funny guy, and as if the world needed to know more, um, he's a former co-host of mine, and I have a few of those. We'll be back. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker 
who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Back on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Justin Lars, Matt, and our guest, Hamp McWhorter. If you've uh, followed my career at all, you know Hamp has been, uh, I guess he's been my co-host about six different stations. Also a big Georgia guy, and um, his father was Boyd McWhorter, who I absolutely adored as commissioner. And, boy, he he really issued me in and, and taught me a lot of ropes, as he did, I think, a lot of other people. But, Hamp, it sounds like you're on the road. I'm on the road. So car's running a little bit uh, hot, so I apologize if it's a little too loud for you guys. Oh, we can hear you fine. But, uh, hey, uh, how you been feeling after two in a row there, Mr. Bulldog? It's hard to get rid of the smile, I'm not going to lie to you. It's uh, very enjoyable living in Birmingham these days. <laughs> Does it make it better that, it's, that's, that you're knocking down Alabama? And you can say that. You're driving. Nobody knows where you are. Well, I mean, listen, I'll, I'll preface this. I've always liked Alabama, but yes, it does make it nicer. It does. <laughs> I, I, like I told people, I don't hate Alabama. I just wish they go 9-3. and three. <laughs> <laughs> Hamp, uh, good to talk to you again. Uh, what was your reaction just to what Kirby Smart had to say at, at SEC Media Days? Anything surprise you? Was it just sort of, uh, you know, business as usual? Um, what, did you have any sort of takeaway from from what Kirby and, and the players expressed at, at SEC Media Days? I, I wasn't. I, I kind of thought that he would get grilled a little bit more by the media about the off the field issues and, and maybe he did in the smaller venues as y'all know going to that event I mean you've got the big ballroom but the coach also goes and talks to you know 15 other rooms with media so maybe they grilled him a little bit more but I thought he'd get more questions on that to be honest with you you know uh, I find Brock Bowers intriguing on many levels first of all Lars and I both agree he's the best player in the SEC and the list in long nationally, and I think he may be in New York at the end of the season. 
Uh, that being said, from what I've read, and I don't know if you've been around him or not, he's a little bit of a different cat, a silent cat. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I've heard, and, and hate to be this way, but, I mean, he is from California. Pretty much everybody from out there is a little bit different, aren't they? Well, um, especially when they come to the south. <laughs> yeah, from Napa, from Napa Valley. So, I mean, um, yeah, I've heard he's real quiet. I've heard he's not as quiet in the team setting and, and those sort of things, but just not that comfortable having the spotlight on him in those events. But, yeah, he is a special, special player. I mean, he's amazing. What, what can you tell us about Carson Beck? And is it uh, is it pretty much a foregone conclusion right now that, that Carson's going to be the starting quarterback at Georgia this year? I, I would think so, Lars. I mean, that's what I've heard. You know, he was, and, and the story's kind of well documented, I guess. When JT got hurt a couple years ago before Georgia played UAB, he was going to be the starter. And evidently, he did not uh, handle the pressure of that too well during practice. And the players kind of went to Kirby, and Kirby saw it and said, hey, we need to put Stetson in. He, he knows what's going on. So, I mean, there is that nervy, nervous aspect as a Georgia fan. Is he going to be able to succeed? But he's a couple years more experience. But let's face it, he's replacing the, you know, the most accomplished quarterback in the history of the University of Georgia and the most accomplished quarterback in the playoff era. I mean, the guy won four MVPs in four playoff games, so he's, he's not going to be as good as Stetson. You know, Lars and I talked about this yesterday. With all the accolades and all we watched Stetson Bennett do, still think he's underrated. Or at least uh, he's not underrated. I think he's underappreciated, even with all of the awards documentation that you just gave us. I don't think there's any question. And, and listen... I'll be the first to admit I was wrong about him. I was, that 2021 season, I was, where's JT Daniels? Even in the national championship game when he fumbled, I'm like, all right. So that's why Kirby gets paid $11 million. I'm on the radio with you guys. But, <laughs> Thank you. you know, <laughs> but, but Stetson, I mean, Georgia won because of him last year, not in spite of him. I mean, I don't know, if, you know any other quarterback that, you know, that Ohio State game fourth quarter, you can't play any better than he did. And, you know, and, and, and Bryce Young is, is better than Stetson, but the drop-off for both teams at quarterback for Alabama and Georgia is going to be significant this year. Uh, okay, i got to ask you uh, the, the negative question here uh, about Georgia. What What is going on with all of these speeding tickets? Uh, I think f- there have been four after the, the tragic accident that uh, that lives were lost uh, just a few days after the night of the uh, championship celebration. Um, do you have a, a – Kirby, when Kirby addressed it, when he, when he spoke about it, he said, well – and, and this is kind of, I think I think he fell a little short in, in, when he in, when he gave his answer about well it's been going on here forever and uh, and you know if you look at the numbers they're the same as they've always been uh, but he also said you know we need to educate our kids better but but what, what do you think is going on why why is this happening to Georgia? Well, first of all, it's it's I think he fell short too. I mean I. As a University of Georgia fan, I you know I want my program to not only win but to 
conduct itself in the right way. And I think there are a lot of factors. I think probably first and foremost, not make excuses, but when you have NIL and kids get car, have unlimited money and kids have cars that go extremely fast, they're going to do it. Now, it's the response that Kirby should have towards it, which I think he should announce suspensions for games. And he hasn't done that in the past. He says discipline is internal. But I think you've lost the narrative, and you've got to tell people, hey, this is what we're doing. We're suspending people. And now Georgia's schedule is so soft that they, they might be suspended those first couple of games, and people go, oh, they were suspended. But I think you need to come out and make the announcement because I do think playing time is the only thing that can change players' behavior because obviously if a tragedy of two of your companions' dying doesn't change it, I'm not sure what will. Um, is uh, Bama not only being threatened by Georgia, I think they certainly are on every level of the football playing field, but Brian Kelly's not too far in that rearview mirror of Nick Saban and Tuscaloosa, is he? Well, it's, you know, I, I, I'll quote Greg McElroy on this. I mean, LSU won national championships with Les Miles and Ed Ogeron, who <laughs> just aren't the... Uh, brightest uh, bulbs in the in the box and if they can win with those two guys I mean Brian Kelly is a hell of a football coach so it's it shouldn't be shocking to anybody that he's done what he's done because he's a great coach and he's at a place that's a great place to win Hamp um, what specifically is it that from your perspective that Georgia is doing better than everyone else right now you know, I think it's recruiting, and I think it's, and this might be me drinking the Kool-Aid, I think they've done a really good job. I mean, obviously talent-wise, which everybody's getting them, Georgia, Alabama, but I think they've done a really good job of identifying kids that have the right makeup to fit within the confines of a team system. And I didn't realize, and that Kirby said yesterday, the fact that the group that they signed in 2021 the COVID year recruiting, that they have 17 out of the 20 kids still there is amazing to me in this day and age of transferring. So I think they've done a very good job of identifying kids with the right makeup to fit into team concepts, which has helped them. But then again, all that's great, but if the Ohio State guy makes a field goal, we're not talking about this. Hamp, uh, Hasn't Georgia, I don't know if they keep records. They keep records, but not as in record records. Uh, nobody's transferring from Georgia either. They're not in the portal. Isn't that right? Well, they, they, they've, had a, they've had quite a few, but, I mean, Has it's they? not. But it's it, it hadn't been the big time. The only one they really lost, they lost their probably top freshman defensive lineman transferred to USC. Um, but I had heard all along. that you know, out. Yeah, I mean, I'd heard all along, though, I mean, even before that happened, that, you know, he was one of those ones that was probably a little bit more interested in getting his, which is fine. I mean, I, I don't I don't begrudge anybody getting theirs, um, but I don't think Kirby, you know, you're trying to maintain that team culture and everybody on the same page. I mean, you you, you know, you've got you to have kids that are willing to sacrifice, and I think they've They've done a really good job of that. Obviously, they've developed talent exceptionally well. Um, you know, it, it's and then let's face it—he learned from Nick. I mean, we're not—he's not reinventing the wheel. 
everything that Georgia does is Kirby taking what Nick did and adding a little to it. So, you know, Nick deserves all the credit in the world for it because he's the one that came up with this system and people have learned how to implement it. All right, Hamp, you know that I'm a Nebraska guy and... uh, The fighting Matt rules. (laughs) That's right. Um, (laughs) Dylan Rayola... Uh, who uh, for a long time was rated as the number one overall prospect of this upcoming high school class. His dad played at Nebraska. It was an All-American. His his dad's name, Dominique Rayola, is literally uh, on the inside of the stadium as one of the legends who's played there. His uncle is a coach at Nebraska. And what happens? Dylan Rayola gives Nebraska the stiff arm to go to Georgia. Uh, how good do you think? I know that, that Dylan still has one season in high school left, and he moved to Georgia uh, from Phoenix. Um, what, what do you know about Dylan? Why? And, and I don't know if you have any insight into how Kirby was able to get him and just what kind of prospect he is. Um. The story of Georgia, part of it was that I think his dad was Matthew Stafford Center up at Detroit. That's right. Yep. Oh, my God. I didn't even realize that. So it was Stafford that, 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 oh, my goodness. Okay. That's what I've I've heard. Um, I've heard great things. The only thing that concerns me, and and this is more of uh, old man get off my lawn, and I know things are different. It worries me when a kid's been to, like, 37 high schools. Yeah, he um, has. I don't think he's been but, anywhere longer in a year. Yeah, and, and which happens far more frequently now, and, I, you know, that's something that I have to overcome in my assessment. But that that does worry me. But, you know, this day and age, Lars, I mean, Georgia's got two of them coming in next year. You know, I'm sure two will transfer out. Somebody will come in. I mean, it's just revolving doors, so... Um, I heard I've heard great things about him, but you know, quarterback is a weird position, as you know, and you got to have one. But you know, like I said, Georgia's chases Eason and Justin Fields and all those people, and end up winning with a, a walk on from Blackshear, Georgia. So you just don't really know. <laughs> no, you never know. You never know. I, I in a million years, uh, and Matt and I have talked a lot about Stetson Bennett. I never thought he would win two national championships. And you're yeah. right; he has to be considered the most successful quarterback of the playoff era. Matt, oh, every everything shows it. Before we let you go, Hamp, uh, just a brief word. Just uh, want to ask you about Vince Dooley again, as I often have. For those that don't know. Hamp and Derek Dooley were really good friends, still are, I guess, today, but you spent a lot of time around the Dooley household. Uh, you, you got a Vince story maybe involving, um, bio, uh, what's, what's the word, zoology? Didn't you have a backyard well, full of all kinds there, of different flowers and plants? He had all kinds. He spoke one time at the Birmingham Botanical Gardens, which I went to and was, of course, bored to death, and he had a he had a plant named after himself, and he had one named after Miss Dooley. And of course, only showed the picture of the plant that was named after himself. Um, but you know, the, the one my favorite Coach Dooley story is Georgia's playing Auburn, and I think it was 1986 in Athens, and Lawyer Tillman was killing them. And Georgia had benched a safety early in the year and hadn't played much, and won the favorite of Coach Dooley's. 
and all of a sudden Coach Dewey looks up and he's in the game getting beat and he looks at Bill Lewis and he goes, what in the hell is that guy doing in the game? And Coach Lewis goes, he's the only one that knows that defense. And Coach Dewey looks at him and goes, don't ever run that damn defense again. So that's 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 my favorite sideline story. But yeah, I went up to the lake this summer. It was a little, little strange without him up there. I mean, obviously quite a presence and quite a human being. And like I've told people, I don't know anybody that came closer to reaching their full potential um, than Coach Dooley in terms of learning and pushing himself and and knowledge. He, I've never known anybody that constantly was looking to acquire more and more knowledge like he was. Yeah, and history, wars, just um, everything. Um, and he's he was the father of Gulf Shores, believe it or not. But that's a different story. Pam, um, thanks for your time. My best to your family. Appreciate it very much. Lars, Matt, enjoyed it. Anytime, I'll always talk Georgia with you. Uh, no, thanks, Sam. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to you. We'll All come right, back to you. Thanks, Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it. Uh, hey, Lars, when we wrap up, we'll uh, have a couple more comments on the SEC. But also, why in the world has the British Open become a political hot rod? Uh, I can answer part of that. But the other part, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's just the fact that we're in 2023. We are listening to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. Partially sunny this afternoon. The high today, 95. Fair tonight, the low 77. Sizzling weather tomorrow and Friday. Partly to mostly sunny both days. Thunderstorms will likely arrive Friday night. Highs between 95 and 98. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 93 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Big Noon Sports. Wow, what a day. What a week. We've got another SEC Media Day tomorrow on Thursday. And Johnny Congdon will be joining us again from 3340. And also our thanks to Hat McCorder for joining us. He's always entertaining. Lars, let's talk just a minute. We've got a few here as we go to the top of the hour and uh, make room for Ryan. Um, Several things we're reading out of the British Open. First of all, you and I joked about this, and it's certainly no joking matter to uh, Kepka because he has been paired with the two slowest players in all of uh, golf these days, uh, Patrick Cantlay and Hideki Matsuyama. Um, but now, uh, if you, I've never heard of this group until recently at Wimbledon, uh, but it's the JSO, Just Stop Oil, and they are a, an activist group. And they protest at major events in the same vein that PETA does. And it's, it's uh, nothing against the event, so to speak. It's just to get headlines. And these groups admit that. And that's what they're admitting. They did it at Wimbledon. But there is a big, big line. I'm talking about wide as a highway between having a peaceful civil protest and disrupting an event. And these people disrupt events. They stop play. They uh, make it difficult for fans and others. I mean, they lay down in roads, you know, uh, just radical crap. 
Did you see what John Rahm said? <laughs> I, I did not. He said, in reference to them perhaps disrupting his swing or his, he said, they just better hope I haven't had a bad hole. <laughs> <laughs> and John Rahm's a guy who can back up his words, too. Uh, he's, he's, he's a big, he's, thick He's no guy. one to be trifled with. You know, another uh, raging debate right now uh, with the British Open is, do you call it the Open or do you call it the British Open? Because uh, right now it, it's Americans who refer to it as the British Open. Correct. Uh, Europeans refer to it, uh, especially the English and the Scots, as the Open uh, because, you know, there is no other Open to them. This is, this is the preeminent golf tournament uh, in the world. Uh, but given that, uh, you know, we in the United States, we have our own U.S. Open. Um, so that's, <laughs> I don't know, Matt. Uh, I, I loved uh, Colin Morikawa, uh, who um, he's a former uh, champion golfer of the year. Uh, he, he was asked about the two names and he just gave such a great response. He said, quote, I think people understand whether you say British Open or the Open. At the end of the day, if you win it, you can call it whatever the hell you want. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I definitely called it the British Open the year I won, and then people gave me hate for it. So I called it the Open last year, but I played better when I called it the British Open. So I might just call it the British Open. <laughs> Good. Um, it's uh, you know, it, 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 you know it, it's similar to in Birmingham, and we're now never going to have a chance to get them as a sponsor to the club. <laughs> I, I think that's the most pretentious name ever for a club. Well, hey, um, I grew up in Huntsville, and really, really early. I mean, I was just a child. Um, we had. Uh, one of the first shopping malls, you know, enclosed. It was built right there in Huntsville. That's University a big deal, man. It was a big deal back then. <laughs> and so all these people that created it and, and got the monies and the funding and the contractors together, all said and done, you know what they called it? What? The mall? The mall. <laughs> well, <laughs> but at that time, it was the mall. And I'll, in, I'll do a... a, a in my a neck of the woods, the mall means the Mall of America. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not Huntsville, Alabama, although I think it's been torn down now or it's Best Buy <laughs> or something like that. Uh, but I will say this as your gardeners continue. Oh, of course. Uh, it's not mine. Course. It's my neighbor's. Oh, yes. it's Wednesday. But it's Wednesday. <laughs> they do it every Wednesday. I think it's funny. And it's comical by now. But... Back in the day when I was doing, you know, a lot of TV and we would, you know, run highlights, I called it the British Open. And I think in America, most did call it the British Open. But when I, I just kind of let my mind do a deeper dive, I went, you know, if the Europeans and many others uh, around our globe call it the Open, man, I, I, I will heed way because that's where golf came from, okay? And if they want to call it the Open... And since then, I've been calling it the Open. Maybe Colin's not going to. <laughs> they, I mean, these 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 gardener guys are just like right. <laughs> it happens Sounds every like week. They're weed eating. Yeah, the yeah, they are. They are. Uh, uh, yeah, it's my neighbor. It, okay. Um, 
I think Morikawa's right. You can call it whatever you want. And uh, I think uh, here in the United States, we should call it the British Open because if you just call it the Open, it makes it confusing with the U.S. Open because to us here uh, on this side of the pond, what event would you rather win, the U.S. Open or the British Open? I think uh, fans and golfers would say the U.S. Open because uh, it's it's our championship. And uh, and I know maybe the British Open could be considered the world championship. I, I get that because of where golf was invented. But the fact is, that is a different style of golf than we play in the United States, right? We, we don't play link style. I, I, I enjoy playing link style. And I there are a couple of link style courses, even here in Alabama, which is a lot of fun. Uh, just bring a lot of balls because you're going to lose them. But um, I, I have—I think we should call it the British Open, frankly. So anyway, that's uh, that's those, those are the, the thoughts on that, and uh, and and with that, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to have uh, so much more tomorrow. On, uh, on not just the first round of the British Open, but we are going to dive deeper into uh, what uh, was said at Media Days. And uh, as Media Days wrap up tomorrow morning, we'll do a uh, thorough review of what we learned and, and what questions emerged out of Nashville uh, from SEC Media Days. All right, you're listening to Big Noon Sports. Everybody have a great Wednesday and be safe. We'll talk to you in 22 hours. Shop and pre-owned.